Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you and your word. We come before you as um, branches connected to the vine. And we ask that you would speak to us, um, show us what it means to be obedient to you, to follow your commandments, to abide in you, to make our homes in you, Lord Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, today, friends, we're uh, finishing our uh, series on Jesus' seven I am statements um, with one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, John 15, 1 to 17. This is where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The invitation of this passage is for us to make our homes in Jesus, to abide in him and he in us, to receive our very life from him and for the very life of Jesus to flow through us to those around us, the world around us. It's one of my favorite passages and I reflect on it often, um, but I had never actually reflected on it in the way that Malcolm Geit invites us to in his poem from today. Malcolm begins his poem with a very simple question. He asks, What does it feel like to be a part of the vine? Not what does it mean theologically or what is the nature of the union between God and humankind. Those are good and important questions, but those aren't the questions that he asks. He asks, what does it feel like to be a part of the vine? What does it feel like to make your home in Jesus and he in you? What does it feel like for the spirit to be flowing through you? The poem goes like this. How might it feel to be part of the vine? Not just to see the vineyard from afar, or even pluck the clusters, press the wine, but to be grafted in, to feel the stir of inward sap that rises from our root, himself deep planted in the ground of love, to feel a leaf unfold, a tender shoot, as tendrils curled, unfurl, as branches give a little to the swelling of the grape, in gradual perfection round and full, to bear within oneself the joy and hope of God's good vintage till it's ripe and whole. What might it mean to abide and to abide in such a rich love as makes the poor heart glad? What does it feel like to be a part of the vine? What does it feel like for the love of God to flow through you like sap through a branch? What does it feel like for the Spirit of God to produce fruit in your life, to feel the swelling of the grapes and the weight of the fruit bending the branch? And such wonderful questions and thoughts to consider because they then also make us consider some other questions. When do I feel most connected to Jesus? When do I feel the Spirit moving through me? What gifts has God given me for the life of the world? How are those gifts nourished? How do I receive sap from the roots? What disciplines or postures or practices put me in a position to receive God's love for the life of the world? This poem opens up all sorts of wonderful avenues for us to reflect upon, and I would encourage you to do so if you haven't purchased a copy of uh, Malcolm's collection of poems, Parable and Paradox, then maybe you want to go to his website. He's got them all on there. It's malcolmgeit.wordpress.com. But I would encourage you to go back to this poem and to consider those questions that are asked.
Now, as we turn a little bit more directly uh, to our passage from today, we see that there's a shift that's happening at this point in the upper room discourse, which is these five chapters in John 13, John 13 all the way to John 17. In John 13 and 14, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for the immediate future. So uh, he's telling them that someone's going to betray him. He's telling them that he, that he has to go away for a little while. He's been preparing them for what's about to happen. But now there's a slight shift in John 15, and Jesus starts to prepare his disciples for the longer-term future. And he continues to do so in chapters 16 and 17 of this Upper Room Discourse. So the focus here shifts to that longer-term future that Jesus is pointing his disciples towards. And you'll see that our passage, if you look at it in Scripture, you see that it's bookended by two things. On one side, it's bookended by Jesus talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit to guide the disciples as they move into this future that's unknown. And on the other side of this passage, Jesus is talking about the challenges that his disciples will face as they move into the future. That the world will hate them because it hated him first. He's talking about this hostility that they'll face. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for the future by telling them that first he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be their guide, their advocate, their comforter, their guide as they move forward into the future. And he also warns them that they will face hostilities as they move into this future. But between those bookends, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And what he's saying, in part at least, is while I'm gone, you still have a calling and a purpose in this world. The Holy Spirit's going to come and be your advocate and guide. You're going to face hostility, but you have a calling and purpose in this world. You are called to bear much fruit. You are called to be an expression of the love of God in this hostile world. That's the calling and purpose that God has given us as his followers. Jesus ends our passage today by saying, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you or purposed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. These things I command you so that you will love one another, he says at the end. So that's sort of the summary statement of the purpose and the calling that Jesus has given us to go and bear much fruit, for that fruit to abide, and for us to love one another. The fruit that we're called to, to bear is the love that we are to express, which is the love of Jesus flowing through us. Now, before we go into too much detail about um, what that looks like, what our, about sort of the details about our calling and purpose, there is one thing that I did want to point out about these seven I am statements, just in terms of their structure as a whole. And it's, it's that I think one of the ways that we can look at these statements is that Jesus is speaking to us at the level of our deepest fundamental needs. That every time Jesus says, I am, he's recognizing one of the fundamental needs that we have as human beings. And he's telling us that he is the one who will ultimately meet that need. So Andre's put it on the screen here already. This is sort of how I, I broke it down. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, Jesus is meeting our fundamental need for salvation, that he is our rescue and, and the sacrifice that was needed for us. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, Jesus is meeting our fundamental need for guidance and direction 
to help us make decisions and right judgments as we move forward in the world. When Jesus says, I am the door, he's meeting our fundamental need for protection and security and safety. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he's meeting our fundamental need for provision and care. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's meeting our fundamental need for hope, especially in the face of grief and loss. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's meeting our fundamental need for peace and comfort, especially when we face the fear of the unknown. And now in today's passage, Jesus says, I am the vine, which is him meeting our fundamental need for purpose and a sense of calling and a sense of belonging and a sense of identity. So every one of Jesus' I am statements, I think at least in part, can be seen as him acknowledging the fundamental needs that we have as human beings, first and foremost, but then also saying, I am the one who will meet those. I am the one and only person who can ultimately give you that deep satisfaction, that deep longing that every human heart has and craves. So as we finish this series, I just I wanted to, to offer that to you as a way to, to think about uh, coming back to these um, seven I am statements and reading these passages again and seeing um, how that speaks to you and maybe thinking about maybe a need that you have currently and going back to one of those passages and allowing Jesus to speak to you at that point. With regards to the specifics of our passage today, I really do think that this is an invitation to be attentive to the primary calling that we have as Jesus' followers, which is to be an expression of his love in the midst of a hostile world. That's what bearing fruit, I think, is all about. And there are a number of things uh, that this passage invites us to uh, to consider as we think about this calling. So this isn't exhaustive, but these are four things that struck me as I read this. The first is this. That our ability to fulfill the call that God has on our lives is directly related to our abiding in him, our making our home in him. So that means that the love that we are called to express in the world is not merely our own love, but it finds its origin and source in the very life of God himself. God is love, John said. That's why Jesus says, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus kept the Father's commandments being being an expression of his love in the world. We keep Jesus' commandments being an expression of his love in the world. There's this beautiful order to it. And all this is connected to keeping God's commandments, to abiding in his love. The love that we express is not... Um, arbitrary. It's not just our own to determine for ourselves. It is commanded by Jesus. It is defined by Jesus. And it, it is expressed in obedience to Jesus. The Father sends the Son who abides in the Father's love, thus fulfilling the Father's command. The Son sends us into the world, empowered by God the Holy Spirit, to abide in his love and thus fulfill his commands. And so the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is manifested in the world through God's people abiding in the triune God. That's what this passage tells us. So in order to fulfill the calling that God has given us to be an expression of his love in the world, it begins and it ends with us abiding in him, being obedient to him, and seeking to fulfill his commands. 
Secondly, there's a certain level of, of humility that I think is required in order to fulfill the calling that God has given us. Jesus begins John 15 by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So there's this inherent recognition that we are not perfect, that we don't have it all together, and that our love is imperfect. We all still wrestle with the implications of the fall, as Evelyn um, read to us so beautifully this morning. We all still feel the effects of that tragic day. We all still have a tendency towards greed and power and self-aggrandizement and selfishness and and wanting to, to sort of be like God, to take God's place, to be God ourselves. None of us is impervious to the consequences of the fall. And so we know that pruning must be involved in our lives. There are ways in which sin bends us in on ourselves. There are ways in which sin chokes the life out of us. There's ways that sin blocks the light out and prevents that light from coming in. All of that needs to be cut away and pruned back that we we might bear much fruit, as Jesus says. That we may fulfill the calling that God has given us to live fully human lives and experience the fullness of joy. I love that line in this passage. That God's joy may be in us and our joy may be full. Jesus says. Pruning has to happen for that to occur. And that does require a certain level of of humility on our part and a willingness to face our own brokenness and the the areas in our lives where where we are bent in on ourselves, where we're blocking out the light, where we're choking out the life of God within us. And we have to be open to allow God to do his pruning work within our lives. Third, this passage, um, it also recognizes God's action and activity in our lives, which is the very thing that enables us to fulfill the calling that God has given us. So it's his work, not ours. Verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So Jesus chooses us. He appoints us. He sets us apart for this task, and he sends us out. And of course, this is all in the context of him sending the Holy Spirit to be our advocate and guide. So he empowers us also. So Jesus chooses us, he appoints us, he empowers us, and he sends us out with confidence in the midst of a hostile world in order to be an expression of his love. And part of the beauty of this passage is the recognition that we do so walking side by side with Jesus in the work of his kingdom. That's part of the beauty of, of, of the passage when it says, No longer do I call you servants, Jesus said, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. This, this image is of us walking side by side with Jesus, fulfilling the call that God has given us, not just as a master and a servant in terms of that, that hierarchy, but as friends, as partners in the gospel, walking shoulder to shoulder together. So chosen, empowered, appointed, and sent out with Jesus to do the work that he has given us to do. 
And then finally, um, there's one last, what I find a beautiful reminder in this metaphor of the, vanch, of the vine and the branch. And it reminds us that outcomes are out of our control. That the outcomes of the work that God has given us to do are out of our control. So what we, what we're, we know what we're called to do. We're called to love in the way that Jesus loves us. We know what that looks like because Jesus has just showed us in this passage. It looks like taking off that, those outer garments, getting down on our, our hands and knees, and loving and serving those who are before us, even those who are going to later betray us. All these people are going to run away from Jesus. So it's getting on our hands and knees and loving and serving the world, all those who are around us. So we know what we're called to do. We know what it looks like because Jesus has showed us. But we don't know how it will be received in a hostile world. The branch doesn't decide who will eat the fruit. It doesn't decide who's going to pick it. It doesn't decide how it's going to be used in the world. It simply seeks to abide in the vine. That's what the branch does. And that's what we're called to do as well. We don't know who will receive God's love through us. We don't know how it will be received or whether it will be received or not. We have no control over those outcomes. We simply know that we have been chosen and appointed by God to abide in him and to abide in his love. And the rest is up to him. I find that tremendously freeing, personally. This week, uh, during our, our morning prayers, our morning devotions as a family, um, which might sound very nice and quiet and lovely, but it's often very chaotic, so um, don't have the wrong picture of this in mind. But every morning, we, uh, we take time for morning prayer together as a family um, before, you know, Kids go off to school and, and we get on with our work and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's a wonderful way to just sort of be attentive to God, to worship him, to know that our lives are meant first and foremost as an act of worship to our loving, benevolent creator God. But in our uh, morning devotions this, this week, um, the, one of the passages that we read was 1 Corinthians 13, and we actually read it from the message. That's the kids' Bible that we've been going through recently. Um, it's this abridged version of the message. And the passage that we read was 1 Corinthians 13, and I was struck by how fitting it was thinking about Jesus being the vine and us being the branches and us called to, to go and bear fruit in the world, to be an expression of his love. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is found within the context of the spiritual gifts, so it's a reminder that the love that we're called to express is not our own, but it's a gift from God. And it reminds us that we are called to do certain things in this in-between time, while we're waiting for the consummation, while we're waiting for Christ to return, um, that we have three things that we're primarily called to do, the most important of which is love. And so I just want to read the whole thing to you. It's not the full passage but it's a, it's a, or, or the chapter, but it's a chunk of it. And I was struck this week by sort of the earthiness of the language. We often hear 1 Corinthians 13 read in, at weddings and things like that. And so we associate it uh, unintentionally, I think, with romantic love. But it's not about romantic love. It's what all of us as followers of Jesus are called to do. This is the calling that we have. And so this is the message version of, of a part of 1 Corinthians 13. It says this, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love... 
I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. For right now, until Christ returns, and in that in-between portion, this is that future that Jesus was telling us about in the upper room. I'm going away and I will come back, but in the meantime, this is the calling that you have. Right now, until Christ returns, we have three things to do, Paul says. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. And love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.